Welcome to the Kupinka Coal Analyst Chat. I'm your host. My name is Matthias Reinbart. I'm an analyst and advisor at Kupinka Coal Analysts. My guest today is Alexei Balagansky. He is lead analyst for cybersecurity at Kupinka Coal Analysts. And today we will be talking about an interesting topic which makes lots of noise currently. We will be talking about quantum computing. Hi, Alexei. Hello, Matthias. Thanks for having me again. Great to have you. And uh, you've mentioned that to me before we started that we need to mention that we both are not really quantum theory experts, but nevertheless, we want to cover that topic in a bit more detail. And the main topic today is, is quantum computing an imminent security threat? To start out with a first basis What is quantum theory in general, Alexei? Well, uh, as you mentioned, that's a really uh, mighty topic on itself, uh, quantum computing and cybersecurity. But you're absolutely right. Uh, before we go into deep details, we have to address uh, the real basics. So just to remind to our listeners that quantum theory basically describes the way our universe works on a subatomic level. We really don't have to go deep into details of the physics and mathematics involved, but basically, maybe some people even remember something from the school or physics courses about light, uh, which behaves sometimes at the same time, both as a particle and a wave. And that's actually one of the basic foundations of quantum theory. We don't have to know how it all works in details, but probably one of the most popular Examples of explaining how quantum theory works is the Schrodinger's cat experiment, where you put uh, basically a cat into a box, uh, and you cannot see the cat, and you cannot predict uh, whether the cat is uh, alive or dead at the moment. So the quantum theory would suggest that it's actually both alive and dead at the same time. And the physicists uh, call it a quantum superposition. They say that a quantum thing, a, a qubit, can... Uh, exist not just in a single state like uh, binary one or binary zero. It can uh, exist at both of those states uh, simultaneously with a certain probability. And another aspect we have to remind about is that a quantum state uh, cannot be safely observed externally. Every time you try to basically touch a qubit to understand what current state of it is, this quantum superposition disappears and the quantum state will be fixed to one of those uh, probable states. And this is, in a nutshell, the major, the biggest difference from the quote-unquote traditional computing. Those traditional computers we all know and use daily, they work on binary logic. So every tiny uh, electronic gate on a computer chip is either zero or one. Whereas a qubit, the smallest entity in a quantum computer, can simultaneously exist in multiple states. And when done properly, and when using a specially designed uh, algorithm, those quantum computers can achieve amazing breakthroughs in uh, computing performance. And we're not talking about being faster than a traditional computer. That's a given. We're talking about solving a problem which a traditional computer would require billions of years to calculate in hours or minutes. So when we are talking about the so-called quantum supremacy, it's not really about who will build the biggest quantum computer first. It's about designing such uh, innovative algorithms 
which can solve problems not just faster, but can solve problems which were unsolvable before. Okay, if I understand it correctly, the technology allows to formulate these algorithms in a way that they are way superior to existing traditional algorithms in traditional computing, which is really just zero slash one based in the logic. So it is capable, as you said, of being much faster, much more efficient, much more performant than existing technologies. Um, when, when we're talking about this concept in, in the security context, what are the greatest risks for traditional security when we look at quantum computing in relation to traditional security? Well, first of all, uh, well, let me remind you again that uh, a quantum computer is not just faster than your traditional one. It works on a completely different physical and uh, logical principle, if you will. So you cannot just say, okay, I have this uh, computer program. I want to port it from my laptop to a quantum computer running somewhere in the world. And it will run, let's say, a million times faster. It's, it's not as easy. Right. You actually have to create a completely new and extremely mind-bogglingly complicated computational method to run directly on a quantum computer. And by the way, those quantum computers already exist. They are still highly experimental. They, are very, they have very few working elements, those qubits. And those qubits are usually extremely complicated and uh, sensible. They might be based on laser devices or superconducting elements. So they are extremely expensive uh, and they break like every second. So at the moment, uh, a quantum computer is in a way, it exists in both states. It's, kind of, it's, it's already here, but it doesn't work that well yet. But again, uh, if you are able to create an algorithm for a quantum computer, let's say to break an encryption method, you can do it in hours or minutes for an encryption method, which traditionally would probably take billions of years to crack. So obviously encryption, the asymmetric encryption, is like the, it's the foundation, it's a key stone of modern uh, information technology. It's used everywhere in cloud computing, in uh, secure communications, uh, in uh, digital signatures for legal documents, anywhere. And all those uh, asymmetric uh, encryption methods rely on a very basic mathematical problem, which is called prime factorization. Trying to explain it really, really simply, you have two keys. One is your private key, which you use to encrypt your data. And the other key is your public key, which you give out to your friends or partners, and they can decrypt your encrypted data with that key. Each of those keys is basically a huge prime number. And to be able to decrypt your data, you have to multiply those two prime numbers and the resulting half prime number if you're semi prime uh, will be your key and or to break this encryption you basically have to do the reverse you have to take a huge very, very long number and find its uh, prime components this is called prime factorization on a traditional computer a really long uh, prime number will take millions of years to break on a quantum computer it will take probably hours and this is that quote-unquote security threat people are talking about. 
So traditional security is relying on the fact that our computers or our traditional computers are not in the situation that they can in a reasonable time um, do this um, prime factorization. And that is the basis for our security. And now that we have quantum computing, um, which is capable of achieving that, as you said, in minutes or hours, um, that actually breaks the basics of our encryption mechanisms, right? Exactly. So is it a threat? Well, I guess it depends on what you are encrypting. But is it a risk? Yes, absolutely. And like every other risk, you have to always think about its two components. It's probability and its impact. Like if I am uh, talking to you right now over Zoom, then our chat is encrypted. But if somebody uh, breaks the encryption and steals our podcast recording before it's published, it's a risk. It's even quite probable, I would say. You don't even need a quantum computer for that. But what would be the impact? Would it really kind of demand additional security measures for us to uh, institute for preventing this from the future? Probably not. But if uh, you were a bank and I were your customer and we were talking about uh, sensitive financial data in transmission, that risk impact would be totally different. Okay, so usually when we talk about risk management, we have, of course, what you mentioned, impact and probability. And once we understand impact and probability, we really want to find the right measures to mitigate these risks with adequate controls, with adequate measures. What would be such um, mitigating measures when it comes to these risks that arise from quantum computing? Well, obviously, again, uh, those measures can be very different, ranging in cost and uh, effort to implement uh, and so on. And it all basically boils down to your balance of risk and mitigation. But obviously, in the, the very short term and easiest solution would be just to increase your key length. And this has been done already, even before quantum computing. Uh, like 20 years ago, we were using a much shorter RSA encryption keys, for example. Right. 256, something like that. A bit long. Nowadays, uh, 4096 is already in use. And nothing prevents us from using even longer keys, right? The longer the key is, the harder it is to break it, even on a quantum computer. So for some relatively uh, low impact risk scenarios, that alone would be totally fine. Of course, uh, if you are talking about more uh, sensitive situation, you might want to switch to a different uh, uh, encryption method, which is not that vulnerable to quantum computing. There are, in fact, uh, multiple companies and academic uh, research teams working now already on developing those uh, quantum resistant methods, if you will. And of course, uh, it will take probably a few years to not just develop and test them, but to standardize them to make them uh, ubiquitous everywhere. But uh, the work is already underway. So we are already kind of, okay, we as a humankind, uh, we are already getting prepared for that as we speak. Now, even if uh, some uh, experts would say that a quantum computer as a real imminent threat and physical thing you could use to crack physical encrypted messages somewhere, will not uh, be available for another 10 or 15 years. That's not that much of a time frame, actually, for some scenarios. So people are already working on that, getting ready. 
And of course, there are some other interesting quantum-related developments as well, although the so-called quantum key distribution is not directly related to quantum computing. In fact, it has very little to do with that. Quantum key distribution utilizes another uh, imminent uh, feature of a physical quantum, the, the so-called quantum entanglement. The idea, again, in very simple words, is that you take two subatomic particles and using an almost magical uh, process, you connect them to each other. And anytime something changes on one of those entangled particles, the other one will magically change in its state as well, even when they are far away from each other. And if I am not mistaken, the current uh, record distances are already around several hundred kilometers. So in, in fact, nowadays, you can already buy a product based on uh, this uh, quantum entanglement method, which would guarantee that this uh, entanglement between those two particles would function as a channel, which is physically impossible to wiretap. Only you and your partner on the other end will be able to exchange information over this channel. And any third party attempting to basically uh, eavesdrop on your channel would immediately destroy that connection. So it will be immediately detected. And this is the foundation, this is the basis for quantum key distribution, which are the technologies for exchanging security keys with guaranteed absence of a middleman, which could steal your keys. So in fact, a quantum theory actually helps to improve your uh, encryption security, not just to break it. Okay, if I understand it correctly, and if we look at risk assessment, as you've mentioned it, we have to judge the impact, but the probability of a machine or a quantum computer being around or a quantum algorithm being around that is capable of breaking, actually really breaking traditional encryption, this probability is as of now still very low. Actually, it is zero because it has not been yet implemented. Nevertheless, we know what this will look like. So we are really in the situation to prepare for this situation while it is still not the case. So actually, this is for, from a risk management perspective, this is almost perfect because we can really prepare for the time when this will be the case. But uh, as you've mentioned, there, there are services already around. On the other hand, these real quantum computers are more or less very, very experimental, very, very instable, as you've described it. But what is already available on the market? If I want to look at quantum computing per today, what can I actually just buy with money on the market? So first of all, quantum computers do exist already. Take my word on it, I've seen one. I've touched one myself, <laughs> okay. if you will. So yeah, those are not just available. There are multiple vendors which are trying multiple different technologies to power the qubits and then to build a, a proper quantum computer from those elements. The biggest challenge of this existing quantum computer is they are extremely bulky, expensive, and extremely unreliable. So, they basically, they break many, many times per second. On the other hand, they are working to an extent. And there are some algorithms already available which address these uh, permanent interruptions in quantum computation. They can still work on such a half-broken quantum computer with successful results. 
again, so I am not really a, an expert, uh, so I would not give you an exact numbers or estimates or whether you can already break a certain uh, key lens or a certain uh, encryption method. Hopefully not, but maybe you will be able to do that next year, who knows. But the fact is that those quantum computers are already working and they are even already available to anyone with a credit card because all major cloud service providers, Amazon, Google, IBM, Microsoft, they all offer their own managed quantum computers for you to run your applications on. Okay, so if this is the case, if these platforms are readily available for those who are willing to spend the money, if it's only a matter of time that we can expect that mechanisms that can break traditional encryption algorithms, which are based on this prime factorization, um, what does that mean when we want to prepare, as I said before, so the situation is clear, we know what is going to happen, or maybe it's just right now happening. Is there something um, available in cryptography when we just look at that single aspect of security? Is there anything available that is not um, subject to this vulnerability of encryption so that we can brute force so these traditional encryption mechanisms? Is there some other mechanism that is resilient towards this? So first of all, I have to reiterate once again that nothing changes fundamentally with quantum computing. To brute force and break an encryption method was already possible earlier with traditional computers. You just needed lots of computers and lots of time. But again, with the power of the cloud, if you have enough money, you can rent tens or maybe even hundreds of thousands of computing units and break a reasonably large encryption key in a reasonable amount of time. There are known cases of this done for academic research or even for some law enforcement reasons. Uh, I think there was a report recently that, was it Australian police or some other police department uh, successfully breaking an iPhone encryption? It took them like three years. But then again, for some use cases, uh, that's not too long. But of course, for others, that's way too long. And it all, again, boils down to your risk management. Some encrypted messages are only sensible and useful within minutes or even seconds. The others uh, can still be useful after breaking them uh, in 10 years. Again, it all boils down to your own risk assessment. And again, or as we already mentioned, there are some short-term, middle-term, and long-term possibilities to address those risks. So yes, you have to think about Uh, longer keys, you have to think about uh, new encryption methods which are already designed to be invulnerable to quantum brute forcing, if you will. But then again, it will probably be an ongoing battle because sooner or later there will be new, more powerful quantum computers or new, more efficient algorithms that will break those new methods again. So that's life as usual, as it were for decades or maybe hundreds of years before that. Okay, if I understand that correctly, so that many, if not all, of the usages of this traditional asymmetric uh, encryption that we currently use 
is currently under threat, as you've mentioned already, because you can, can just group together lots of lots of computers to do that in a reasonable time. And with the upcoming new algorithms or, or modified algorithms ready for quantum computing, this will be something that can even take place in a very short amount of time. That should mean that we should reconsider each and every incarnation of this traditional encryption within our internet infrastructure. And are there any initiatives underway to uh, slightly and, and continuously move towards more um, supreme, more resilient encryption mechanisms? Because this is everywhere. First of all, again, let's remind our listeners that everything can be a threat. An asteroid might hit Earth next year and we will all die with all of our clouds and computers. The only problem with that, or rather the greatest luck with it, that it's extremely improbable, right? To, a, to an extent, this applies to quantum computing as a threat as well. So for the next few years, it's, I would say, still rather improbable. It will grow in time. But then again, with time, we have more opportunities, more uh, leg room to upgrade our infrastructures or, and to address all those challenges. Yes, you mentioned there are initiatives. There are, again, multiple uh, standards bodies and multiple academic uh, research groups working on those new quantum uh, resilient encryption methods. And again, well, the internet has survived multiple threats. You probably remember like uh, the OpenSSL bug. It was hugely impactful, like hundreds of thousands of systems uh, around the world were affected. We have survived it. Probably some companies have lost some sensitive data because of it, because they have underestimated their risks. But as a the whole, the internet survived, the humankind survived, and hopefully it will be just like that with the quantum threshold, if you will. Right. I take this as the summary and the resume for today's episode of that um, podcast. Um, we just could touch very, very briefly on that really complex and otherwise also interesting topic. I think we can pick up again in an upcoming episode on that again. I think there's much more to look at. Um, but first of all, we need to watch this technology. We need to watch what's going on there. We need to embrace it. We need to understand it. And we need to make sure that we prepare for, especially also for post-quantum cryptography and be ready for what's happening. Could you agree on that? Absolutely. Okay. Perfect. Thank you very much, Alexei, for being with me today. We will catch up on this, I'm really sure. Uh, thanks for today. Thanks to the audience for listening. And yeah, thank you for um, giving me that great insight into that great topic. Thank you very much, Alexei. Well, thank you, Matthias, and goodbye. Bye-bye.